0: Don't forget the gospel class, it started last week, and if you want to go to it, you can still go to it today, you can watch last week, sometime this week, and then go to the class today if you want to. If you forgot, it's during this service, it's right now. Don't all rush out the door. All right, whatever. If you want to feel all weird and go and do that, you can still watch the first two weeks online and go next week if you want to. Uh, gospel, if you ever want to become a member at Element, the Gospel class is a prerequisite. It's eight weeks long and it gives you basic Christian theology, uh, what Element believes and what our vision is for who we believe God is calling us to be. And we think it's very important for you know people who become members, because we view members at Element as the primary missionaries of our church body. And so we think it's really important for you guys to be able to go through something like that. Uh, Second thing I want to tell you about is if you are a parent and you got some kids, we have new, yearly we do this, you fill out new forms for your kids to let you know if there's any allergies or things like that. A really good thing in that is like last week we, we had, they had pancakes and, and syrup, not a lot of syrup, they get like a dollop, but some kids, you know, but, and maybe you don't want your kids to have excess sugar. Uh, you need to, when you fill out that form, write that on there so we know. You know, if your kid, like, eats nuts and, like, goes nuts, <laughs> just write that down, let us know. So uh, today there's going to be new forms, hopefully handed out to you as parents. You kind of fill those out and just give them back so we know what's up with your kids. So if you're like, that kid's crazy, they're not really crazy, it's just we gave them maple syrup. And I was looking at the maple syrup, because, you know, I read all the labels now that I was on that diet, so I'm like, oh, everything is bad for me. I can't get around it. I better just eat it anyway. But so I'm looking at the back of this the syrup thing, and it says corn sugar, first ingredient. The second ingredient says high fructose corn sugar. I'm like, what? It's like sugar and sugar. It's like, why can't they just say sugar? But it's like, whatever, okay. So today is the Super Bowl. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that without trademark on the end of that, but uh, it is. A lot of you guys are going to be doing things today, whether you're getting together with friends and complaining about it because you hate it, or you're gonna like go and like root on some team that I don't care anything about, because <laughs> I don't know how do teams get in the Super Bowl that I have I do not care about. But it's, but it's his last Super Bowl ever. Whatever. He's, what has he been to like 19 at this point? Anyway, so when you go, sorry, soapbox, whatever. Um, so when you go. Uh, don't forget, this is, this is a great opportunity, that, you know, the, the greatest holiday in, in America apparently. <laughs> you get to go and you get to join in community with one another. And so don't overlook what a blessing that is for one, but secondly, how you can connect a little bit better while you're there with other people. So, you know, take some time not just to hang out, but actually try and become friends with certain people. I think it'll be really cool, and if you look at it as intentional, that'll be awesome. If you are new to Element, there are Bibles in the back. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There's sermon notes and all the communion tables throughout the room. Look like this. On the inside, there's some notes that go along with today's message, as well as some questions you can ask your family or one another or your friends, or maybe if the game is going really bad, you can just turn to somebody and go, hey, so do you have a plan for your future? <laughs> Apparently that guy doesn't. You know, <laughs> you can do those. <laughs> you do those kind of things. Uh, if you have a smartphone, you can download an app. It's called UVersion. Click on Live, and Version will come up by GPS in your smartphone. You'll get sermon notes, verses, questions, announcements, all that goes along with today's message. <sighs> My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. Why don't you stand stay me for reading of God's word? This is John chapter 20, verses 21 and 22. It says, again, Jesus said, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that you would teach us what it means to be a people who live empowered by your Spirit. Who live in the ways that you call us to, because it's not about us, it's about you. That our eyes would get off of ourselves and where they need to be. And that we would understand that we have been empowered to be your witnesses to the world, that we would lift you up in all things and you would gain great glory as you give your people great joy. Amen. Have a seat. Alright, so we are taking two-thirds of this year to head through the first half of the book of Acts. We're attempting to do many, many different things going through Acts, and I'm going to give you my top three in this. Number one, we want to see the beginning of the early church and Jesus' call to mission. The second thing that we want to see is that there's a lot of people like you. You're in transition in your life. You probably will not spend the rest of your life in Santa Maria or at Element. So we want to give you a good idea of what to look for in a church wherever you go. So the stuff that we look at, it's not that Element does all these perfectly, but what we believe God is calling us to be... And thirdly, that understand when you live on mission with and for Jesus, you won't always understand everything that he is doing, but we can be a people who trust him in all things. So open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. We're just blazing right along. We're like week 4. We're hitting the first verse of chapter 2. Woo! That's how it works. A little heads up today. Today in the, in the text, the Holy Spirit comes. These guys speak in what is called tongues. Don't freak out, because I just said the word. Uh, the Greek word there is the word glossa, and it's where we get our word glossary from. But we're actually not even going to deal with tongues today, and not next week. We're not going to deal with it till you see it come up about the third time, because then it makes sense in context, and we'll talk about it, talk about it then. Today we're going to focus on heritage, and what the Spirit actually is supposed to bring and do in our lives. He reminds us and leads us on the mission of the church, which is to glorify God and disciple one another. That's what he calls us to do. So, uh, I was going to try and fit all this into one week, and I just couldn't do it, even talking as fast as I do. I couldn't fit it into one week, so you're going to get two weeks on this section of scripture. Went back through some old notes and thought, the best place to start, again, was some heritage and, and history. Some of you freak out when I say we're going to talk about history. You're like, oh no. Some of you, it's like I just gave you a new Christmas present. You're like, oh, I love history. You know, you are a little weird. Uh But I'm going to try to make it good for all of us as we kind of push through this. So Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 12, I'm going to read it all and then we'll talk about it. It says when the day of Pentecost arrived they were all together in one place and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them and they were all filled with the holy spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the spirit gave them utterance now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews devout men from every nation under heaven and at this sound the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, where they make all of your pamphlets. Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytites, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? So, crazy passage, tons of stuff going on uh, in here. What we're going to do is we're going to tackle those questions that they asked, they being those first disciples asked. So, the questions are what does this mean? The question is, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? And the third question is, how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Now, chapter 1 gives you a list of, of who's hanging out in that early church. It includes the disciples, Jesus' mother, his brothers, plus about 120 others. Chapter 2 tells you they are now meeting again, and it is the day of Pentecost. And whenever you read something in the scripture that's a big word that sounds a little bit funny, you've got to say, what is that? What does that word mean? What is it? And not just think, oh, Pentecost. That's those weird people who the girls can't wear makeup or, or jeans and they speak in tongues. You, you can't do that. you got to look at what it means. So, big words, you go, what's the backstory to this? Because those big words have something really big that shapes them in the history of the church. So, the first question is, what does this mean? We're going to look at the word Pentecost. Pentecost. Three things will answer Pentecost. It is the words Erev-Rav, is Exodus 12, and Passover. Clear it up, right? Open your Bibles to Exodus 12. Exodus 12, second book in the Bible, you'll find it, it's pretty easy. Uh, In Acts, these are first century Jews, and they are joined by what the text says is devout men of every nation. If you have an NIV, I think it says God-fearing Gentiles. These are non-Jews drawn to the Jewish God. For the Jews, everything is shaped by the Exodus story from Egypt. And when we understand the Exodus story, we are shaped by it as well. Our redemption groups that we do at Element are actually centered around that Exodus story. The Jews are in slavery in Egypt under a terrible taskmaster named Pharaoh. And they cry out to God who hears their cry. God comes and God rescues and God redeems them. The word redemption refers directly, as all of its connotations going directly to the Exodus. God bringing his people. People from death to life, from slavery into freedom. So Exodus 12, starting in verse two, this is how this story starts, and this is what God says to these people: This month shall be for you the beginning of months; it shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month every man shall take a lamb according to their fathers' houses, a lamb for a household. That's a lamb for each household. So they're given instructions about this thing that's going to be called a Passover meal. It is centered around this lamb. God's spirit is going to come and God is going to take all the firstborn male children unless you show yourself in covenant relationship with him in this Passover meal you take the blood of the lamb you would put it on your door frames of your home and for thousands of years Jews celebrated this Passover meal that God was going to come and these people are going to be liberated from slavery from death and brought into freedom which is life and God says to them this is the first month of your new year I'm reorganizing your calendar Now, for us today, we can look at this and say, when we screw up or sin or do all sorts of things with destructive consequences, the question is, can there be a new start? Can tomorrow be different than today? Is it always going to be the same? The Exodus story at its core is about a God who says, yes, there is resurrection, there is redemption, everything can be different. It will be the first month of a new year. And the first is always a big deal in the scriptures. Tomorrow is not a repeat of today. God is not the God of despair. He is the God of hope. God is the God of life, not the God of death. So everything's going to change. And God then will wake up his people and say, okay, Pastor the done. Now is the time to go. And they go. Exodus 12, verse 38, there's a very interesting thing here. It reads like this. A mixed multitude also went up with them and very much livestock, both flocks and herds. Now, if you have an NIV, it'll just say many other people. The ESV is much better in its translation of that because the words mixed multitude, these are the words Arab rob. Arab rob. And it's like a mixed bag. It's like a it's like a motley crew. Like when this group of people left their slavery in Egypt, it wasn't just Jewish people. It was a whole Arab rob, a ragtag group of nobodies, dark skin, light skin, rich, poor, strangers, friends. You ever watch Battlestar Galactica where the old one or the new really good one this, this planet like gets destroyed, and then you have like these few ships, this ragtag group of humanity that makes it out to survive. That's what this is. This is a ragtag group of humanity. The Arab Rav is huge to the story, because when God redeems and he rescues Israel, these people, all sorts of others join in this movement, those who didn't fit the pattern. A whole group of people stumble out of Egypt in redemption, and you cannot overlook that. It's important and central to the story. These these slaves, these Hebrews in Egypt, they were owned by Pharaoh and they can never be free until Pharaoh's power is rendered helpless and and he was rendered powerless so the Israelites can be set free. That's the idea of redemption. Our lives are in this terrible taskmaster called sin. And sin holds us down and we keep going, why do I keep doing that? Why do I keep saying I'm never going to do that again? And the next Minute you're doing that thing again. It's because sin is like chains and it holds you down. We are called slaves to sin. And what Jesus does on the cross is break the power of sin so we can be set free. God brings these slaves out of Egypt into freedom. Into freedom. And this happens for them when they cross the Red Sea. Now the Red Sea gets parted, it's through no act of Charlton Heston or Batman, either one, but it happens. Uh, When the Egyptian army drowns in that, as God's people walk across on dry land, that is where they become free. The power is cancelled. They celebrate in Exodus 14 that now they're truly free. Exodus 14.30 says, Thus the Lord saved Israel. The word saved there is the word yeshah, and it means delivered. It means redeemed. God saved Israel. Moses' sister, she crafts this song in Exodus 15, verse 2. She sings, the Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Again, same word. He's become my deliverer. He has become the one who has saved me. So if you missed it, here's the progression. Passover meal. Day or so later, a defining act of liberation, and then this group, this era of Rob, wanders in the wilderness for 50 days. Okay, so pentagram, like five sides, Pentecost, 50 days. 50 days after the defining act of liberation, go to Exodus 19, verse 1. It's all going somewhere, trust me. Exodus 19, verse 1. It says on the third new moon after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai they set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai and they encamped in the wilderness now Sinai is where they're going to get the 10 commandments the word command actually isn't in the scriptures the Jews called it the 10 words so why does this happen because now these people are free but who are they what's their identity And so God comes at Sinai, and he will give them an identity. He says, you are my people, and you're to be priests to the entire world, and you're to show what the world, what my saving love looks like. Now, there's some details about what happens at Sinai. At Sinai, there is thunder. Exodus 19, verse 16, since you're already there, says, on the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings. Now, the word thunder is the Hebrew word kolat, and kol is the word for voices. For voices, an OT on the end is like a plural, so like bronco or broncos. Panther or panthers. Fan or fans. You know, it it puts the thing on the end. So when you read in English, there was thunder. The literal reading in Hebrew is, and there were voices. Exodus 19, verse 18. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. So voices and fire are some of the defining characteristics of this event. Now you say, why Sinai? Well, Sinai is out in the middle of the wilderness. It's not a country. There's not a governor or a political ruler that's telling you where to park your car when you show up. Sinai is free from any political or national boundary. It's like international waters. You get in a ship, you go out far enough, apparently nobody can arrest you. Okay, That's how it works. But God meets these people in a place that no one owns because no one owns this God. God transcends nations and politics and regimes and political parties. He is greater than the way we think that we have divided the earth up. God is bigger and above all of this. So in a place that transcends nation, races, skin color, this God shows up in voices and the sounds of thunder and fire and says, I redeemed you. Now here is the way to live. This is 50 days after being liberated at Pentecost. So go back to Acts chapter 2. Okay? Around the first century there, if you're a good Jew, every year you would still celebrate Passover. Three days later, you would celebrate this thing called the Feast of First Fruits. This is when plants, like a planted in the ground, would come up after they were buried in the earth. Okay, that's kind of interesting. And then 50 days later, you would celebrate Pentecost, the giving of the Torah, the ten words that birthed and liberated this people to share God's saving love with the world. In Matthew 26, Jesus celebrates Passover with his disciples. He is then arrested, he is crucified, by this trial he is executed. Defining act of liberation, because our sins were laid upon him at the cross. Matthew 28, Jesus rises from the dead three days later. So Passover, defining act of liberation, first fruits. Fifty days after this, the disciples are gathered together with a mixed multitude. Acts chapter 2, verse 1, When on the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. What story do you think the Jews read at Pentecost? Exodus 19 and 20 about God coming and redeeming and the voices and the fire and God's hope for all people. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting in divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues, that's the word languages, as the Spirit gave them utterance. They were able to communicate God's saving redemptive action for mankind. Question one, what does this mean? If you are a first century Jew, you're thinking, holy cow, Sinai is still happening. That's what you're thinking. God's still pursuing his people. God wants to display his grace and his love. They're just reading about a God who saves this mixed multitude, this Arab rob and brings salvation to all nationalities. There's one rabbinical commentary on Exodus that said that 70 tongues of fire went out to the entire earth from Sinai. And in Acts 2, you see the same God again with fire and voices enabling his people to speak of the wonders of God to everybody in their own native language to everybody in the world. Do you know, historically speaking, Sinai is the only place in any world religion where God shows up and he speaks to an entire group of people, not just one person. And what does God say to this entire group of people? He says, you're mine. You are mine. Share my redemption with all mankind. Jesus comes, follows that pattern exactly. And when we talk about the birth of the church, it is a desire for the continuation for God to have a people who will show the world his redeeming and saving love. So the church in one sense is new because it's centered around Jesus, but it's also very old because it's what God has always been doing. Question number two. Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? This, let me put this in your vernacular. Okay, Are not all these people who are speaking from Santa Maria? They're not that bright there. Okay? That's the question. It's like, aren't these just normal people? The question is, how do these normal people do these extraordinary things? What's happening? Now, we are told growing up that you can be whatever you want to be. It's a lie. Okay, I know you tell your kids that, but it's a lie. You're just lying to them. The 18-year-old guy that weighs 120 pounds sopping wet is not going to be a running back in the NFL. He will die, okay? That's what's going to happen to him. Your four-foot, eight-inch, 16-year-old daughter is not going to make the NBA. Your kid who can't hold a tune in the shower will not win American Idol no matter how many times you tell him their screeching sounds great. It's just not going to happen. And, but we have all these ad campaigns that convince us otherwise. You know, you know what, how many people use the slogan believe from like UFO junkies that. X-Files, I want to believe, I do, to Microsoft, to video games, to politicians, to clothing companies, to Bronco fans. (laughs) I was waiting for that, just waiting for that. Uh, Now, I think one of the best uses of this uh, was Nike's ad campaign with LeBron James. Here's the ad campaign when he went to Cleveland, okay? He's a basketball player, by the way, in case you don't know. It's like, who's that? Okay, so LeBron James, what's the ad campaign? We are all witnesses. Where'd they steal that from? The book of Acts! I mean, you mean, that's what God's, that's God's slogan for you! We are all witnesses! On the bottom left hand corner it says believe at NikeBasketball.com. Believe in MikeBasketball.com. How do you believe? How do you witness? Well, I buy the tickets and I go to the game and I buy my jerseys and my hot dogs and my beer and I cheer at the right times. That's what I was supposed to do. I buy the headband so I can jump like LeBron James. Do you think LeBron James thinks, or your favorite sports star, whoever it is, thinks that you can do what they do? Not in a million years. They they do not believe you can do whatever you want to do. They do not think that. Because it's one thing to be a spectator, but it's something else entirely to be inspired. But in Acts chapter 2, they're inspired, and they're not called to spectate. They are empowered to be His witnesses. You will be my witnesses. It is not just spectating, it's mission. In Acts chapter 2, ordinary people are called to share the life of God with the world around them. They are God's representatives. They're to let all these people know how you live in the amazing grace and life of God. Can these people do it? Does God believe normal people can actually do what He calls them to do? Yes, he does. You are not just spectators. You are witnesses. You are witnesses. It's, it's amazing what God does. There's an amazing thing that happens in this. And it's a call to all of us as well. It's not, being a witness isn't protesting or, or holding signs or an angry debate. It's you, in your life, saying, I was in bondage to sin. It entangled me. It held me down. My life was all about myself. I thought I was so much smarter than anybody else or whatever your problem is, right? And Jesus comes, pulls me out of the hell that I put myself in. He sets me free, and I am part of his of I am part of his mixed multitude. And I am now able to love by living in His Spirit to be His witness. You get to do what He did. You are called to be His hands and feet to the world, empowered by Him. Witnessing is living. It is missional. It is intentional. It's not handing out tracts as people try and walk into a movie at the mall. It is, let me tell you what I have encountered. I may not have all the answers, but I can tell you what God has done in my life. This is what the living God, the God of hope, the God of life has done in me. The church is an of rabbi, people rescued from darkness, brought into light. All nations of the earth who believe. Now, if you take an architecture class, they will tell you, if you look at a building, you can kind of see what the designer had in mind for that building to be. When Like, you know, what's the whole composition of it? And what's it supposed to mean when people see this building? You can tell that by how they build those things. If you look at the church, the church is not a building. It is God's people, and he's building us to be his church. So you look at it, what's the church meant to be? A mixed multitude of people who are saved and redeemed, empowered by the Spirit, and set on mission. That's what we're called to be. Question number three. How is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Okay, So a lot of people, you read this, you have the experience with the spirit of what's going on, and they have a whole lot of questions. right? What in the world is going on here? What's happening? I don't get it. It produces awe, it produces worship, but a whole lot of other stuff. If you look through the text at keywords, you will see things like, suddenly... Bewilderment, utterly amazed, amazed and perplexed. These are the words that you see. Now Christians say this is like the fundamental text about the birth of the church. Are these the words you think of when you think of church? Bewilderment, amazed, perplexed. I know maybe sometimes when I talk too fast, right? You're like I what? You know that kind of thing. But what it's telling you is that God comes and does amazing things, and God brings order in the midst of our chaos the spirit does some things are perplexing that we don't understand but it always results in order each one of us hears them in his own native language and there's a huge problem what people in churches have done with the spirit of god we've gone like one extreme or the other and not understood what the spirit of god's supposed to do it's like some people are like the spirit of god's like your weird uncle who shows up for a super bowl party and he drinks too much and just causes mayhem It's like what's he doing that's the holy spirit it's like what? What's that? Other people are like, see the Holy Spirit like Elvis, and he's left the building. He's just never around. it's like I don't know the Holy Spirit. He gave us rules, and that's all we get. Don't think of anything else. I mean, it's crazy. The Holy Spirit is meant to empower us, to grow us, to lead us into new life. The Spirit resides in us to give us this new life, but it cannot be contained by us. He brings wonder, awe, life that leads to a reordering of our life that makes sense in light of what God is doing through his children in the world. Each of us hears them in his own native language. It becomes understandable. Australian scholar Alan Hirsch has done sociology on the early church. There's some amazing things that take place. In the Roman Empire, at 100 AD, 70 years after the resurrection, there were about 25,000 Christians in the Roman Empire. At this time, it's illegal to be a Christian, so they don't have buildings per se. They had the Hebrew Scriptures, some writings of the apostles, but not the Bible, like you have. And it was hard to join. I know in churches today, we're like, oh yeah, come on in, believe whatever you want, it's cool, God's good with it, you know. Buddy Jesus, right? That that kind of thing. you know. And But you would come in and you would say, I, I want to follow Christ. And church fathers would say, great, great. Take upon yourselves the teaching of Jesus. Become part of the community. Love your enemies. Don't ignore them. Love your enemies. Give to the poor fast. Pray. And if over time you decide you really do want to be part of us, we'll do get a service and we will confirm you. We'll confirm you. And it was always, are you serious? Because it's not easy. They're always like, let's see if you follow through. Because it's hard at times. At year 100, there's 25,000 professing Christians. No scriptures, no buildings, hard to join. The year 320 comes around, and there are 20 million Christians in the Roman Empire. 20 million. I mean, how do you go from 25,000 to 20 million in, in 200 years? It looks like this movement, when it is stripped of everything except the Spirit of God, thrives. It thrives. Because, seriously, when, when there's just the gospel, we stop making it about politics. And we stop making it about how people dress. And we stop making it about how people eat and what, what people think. We start making it solely about Jesus and being his witness in the world around us. That's what it's about. We tell everybody, hey, my life has changed. This is how. I mean, that's living on mission. That's a witness. And you might think, yeah, 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 well, that, that was back then. We have cars now. Things are different. Okay. say tongue. Evil guy, takes over ruling China in the uh, mid-1900s, and so he starts this brutal, systematic campaign to get rid of all Christians. It is estimated when when Mao comes into power, there are 2 million Christians in China. So what he does is he banishes all missionaries and ministers. He nationalizes all church property. Uh, We call this, what, eminent domain today? Yeah? They come and just take your... Yeah? Yeah? It happens. Okay, uh, They kill all senior Christian leaders in churches. Uh, all second and third level leaders are imprisoned, tortured, and they try and ch- make them change their mind to walk away from this. And then he bans all Christian meetings altogether. They're all illegal. Two million Christians when he comes to power. When he dies, 1976, they estimate there are 60 million Christians in China. See, what you've got to understand is that the Spirit of God is going to do what the Spirit of God is going to do. Is the Spirit trying to make the entire world into our narrow slice of experience of what church life is supposed to be like? No, no. What is the church? In Acts 2, the Spirit is wild and empowers people to something that is new that actually reflects something very old and brings a sense of order in this wildness, this empowered community filled with people of all shapes and sizes and skin colors who have embra- embraced the risen Christ and been embraced by the risen Christ. Nobody owns this God. Scott owns you. Scott owns you. The Spirit is not placed in a box by how we think about Him and how we think He must act and what He think He must do. God places His Spirit in us. The Spirit baptizes us into the family of God. He leads us into all truth. And this may be different than you've been taught, because God's Spirit doesn't make you healthy and wealthy and give you everything you want. God's Spirit leads us into all truth, and He makes us wise. The Spirit is connected to the people of God, the church, and the church is meant to be amazingly diverse. We actually support a couple of people who work at a church in Thailand. This church is made up almost exclusively of ex-prostitutes because no one else will take them in. And some of them aren't even ex-prostitutes. The people who, who run this church, they also work in Kenya with some other people who are AIDS victims. And the only people who will go in and sit and hold hands and pray with these AIDS victims are these Christian women because it, they have this narrow slice of what God is calling them to do and what the Spirit's calling them to do. Element, do you ever look around you and look for those hurting people who need the touch and the love of Christ? Those people who you think, oh, I'm not going near there. I'd never touch them. That's where the Spirit's calling you, to be His witness. The Spirit is like wind, and it blows you places in tongues of fire, yet each of us hears in his own native language. He brings order in the midst of our chaos. That's the Spirit of God. Do you have this fire? Do you have this wind? Has your Christian life just become routine? Do you read your Bible and go to church and go home, and is it all just boring? The church is meant to be a people caught up in the Spirit of God, captivated, amazed, perplexed. Following Jesus is meant to be thrilling and intoxicating, and sometimes it's like, I don't know what you're calling me to do here, but I'm here. And he brings order in that. I mean, have you lost that? Or have you ever even had that? In Acts 2, they're reminded that the story of Sinai was still alive. I'm here to remind you the story of Sinai is still happening today. God's Spirit continues to move, and we are to live in His mission. We even gather today because we are part of that. You and I living in the Spirit of God. Passover meal was shared. Defining act of liberation in the crucifixion. Three days later, Jesus rises from the grave. Fifty days later, Pentecost and God's Spirit is set loose upon the world. The gospel makes all things new, even us. And what that means is you have been empowered. You have been empowered. And you may not understand what that looks like in some places that God sends you, but it makes sense to God because God is the one who does the work. God is the one who does the call. God is the one who gives power and strength and moves us where we need to go. God is the one who does it. And we've got to understand that we are a people who are meant to rest and trust in the goodness of who He is as He leads and guides us where we were meant to be. I mean, when we talk about communion every week, And you break that cracker like Christ's body is broken for you. You dip it in the wine of the grape juice. It reminds of his blood that was shed for you and me. We do that because that's the defining act of liberation. That's where we remember that Jesus died for our sins. But it's not just that he died for our sins. He rose from the grave to bring us back to life. And then at Pentecost, he sends his spirit. What we have to understand is that the Christian faith, it, it is emotional. There are emotions involved in it, but it's also historical, and it makes sense when you understand the history that comes in behind it and why the things happened the way that they did. And we look at that and we say, I get to be a part of that heritage. I get to move forward in that. And the same God that empowered these people in Acts, the things that they did, is the same God and same spirit that empowers you to live your life, to be his witnesses. I mean, my goodness, don't witness... LeBron James, what is Jesus and what he has done? Because our lives are new. I hope that you can be as excited about Jesus as you are about whoever's going to lose today. You know, whatever. <laughs> yeah, you know? I mean, guys, our, our lives are going to be caught up in the grace and the goodness of the Spirit of God. Because he is good. The band's going to come up. I'll start rambling. I promise. Uh, the band's going to come up. Do a couple songs. As we do, we invite you to take communion. Remember what that means, that defined act of liberation. If you need prayer, there'll be some deacons and elders in the back. They love to pray with you. Maybe you're in a spot in your life today and you're and you're just kind of slogging through it. You know, you've never experienced this fire and what God's calling you to do. And, and they love to pray with you about that. I mean, maybe, maybe you are just all bewildered and complex and, and you have no idea what's going on. You're like, can pray that God would bring some order into my life? They they love to pray with you about that. They would love to. Our God does amazing things. He does. But in the end, he brings order out of all of it. He does. There's offering boxes inside of wall in the back, and we give because God gives so much to us, giving as part of our worship. We don't pass a plate. It's a response to what he's doing in us. Uh, there's some food in the back. Grab something to eat. Don't overstuff yourself, because I'm sure you're going to be at a party today and overstuff yourself. You know what they say, start with the vegetables. <laughs> Got to keep yourself... Don't bind yourself up, okay? That's all I'm saying. Tomorrow might be a bad day at work, all right? (laughs) Eat something, meet some people, and have some fun, and laugh like this. Laugh like this today. I mean, God God doesn't intend for his people to be this sober, oh, it's Super Bowl Sunday, oh, Jesus rose from the dead. It's Jesus rose from the dead! What's wrong with you? You're a weirdo. Yes! I'm a witness. Believe at the book of you know, <laughs> Guys, we are meant to be a people who live in the grace and the goodness of God. Because he is good. We are his witnesses. We are part of a heritage. And that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. So live in that heritage. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that you would teach us what it means to live the historical Christian faith as you have given it to us. That we would understand how these things work out in real space and real time. But then we'd also understand the emotion that you bring into the midst of it. That you cause us to love you and you call us to love one another. Teach us in the places in our lives where we feel like we're bewildered and we can't figure out what's going on. Teach us to trust you and begin to pray that you would bring order in the midst of that chaos. Father, for the people in this room who have just gotten so stagnant because it's so easy to become stagnant. That you would send your fire and your wind and you would shake us up. And you remind us of the mission that you have called us to. That we wouldn't be afraid to be your witnesses. We would be excited that we get to be your witnesses. And that we wouldn't worry about having all the answers because we simply know you. And we talk about what we know, what you have done, and what you continue to do. Teach us to be those who live in great joy and great strength and great hope. Because you are the one who has saved us. You are the one who has empowered us. And you are the one who set us free from our taskmaster called sin. And you've led us into freedom and redemption so we can live and worship and love as you call us to. So teach us to live as your witnesses. believing in all that you've said. We ask this in your son's good name. Amen.